because golf is so traditional, we realized that if we can really make a mark and prove ourselves and provide a solution that works, the sky's the limit. The market is ready for disruption and it's asking and it's needing to do things differently than the decades before that. So that was that build-up time into 2014 when we launched. And we also realized that our home markets, Europe and South Africa, were a little bit too small to really jump in. So we thought, okay, if we're going to do this, let's jump in the deep end. And we registered at the 2015 PGA Show with a new product that was an MVP at the time. And we said, let's go and learn what are people saying? What are they asking? What's their response to the system that we're starting to build? And lo and behold, uh, two months later, we had a phone call from an American golf club called Aaron Hills, and the rest is history. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us, and please subscribe to the show so you'll hear about all the upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Bodo Sieber, co-founder and CEO of Tag Marshall, a passionate entrepreneur with an extensive understanding of design thinking, user experience, and process optimization. Bodo has honed his applied data science expertise over more than a decade in this field to create Tag Marshall. So launched in 2014, Tag Marshall's mission is to optimize on-course operations using data-driven management to improve efficiency, enhance player experiences, and drive cost savings. I first met Bodo at the 2019 PGA show and was introduced to Tag Marshall at that time. So I'm really curious to learn how the company and technology has progressed over the last two years. So with that, Bodo, it's good to see you again. So thanks very much for joining me today and welcome back to the Mod Golf Podcast. Yeah, Colin, thanks so much for having me back on the Mod Golf Podcast. A pleasure to check in with you. And uh, I hope that I've got some exciting updates for you and also some information for your many, many listeners that they will find uh, informative and educational. Well, I know you will because I love the position that Tag Marshall goes about really telling your story, and that is through storytelling. And I know you've got lots of great things to talk about, whether it's at Whistling Straits or some other success stories at other courses. So uh, and you're a good storyteller. I've had you on before, so I've, I've heard you in action before. So looking forward to that. So for our listeners here that may not know who the heck Tag Marshall is, whether they're actually in the golf industry or they're just recreational players, why don't you tell us uh, what Tag Marshall is and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Colin. We are uh, recreational players at Tag Marshall. <laughs> Join <laughs> the, the club. Yeah. yeah, no, it, anyone who's not on the tour, right? You're just good enough to be dangerous. So uh, what Tag Marshall Ooh. is, uh, we're a business-to-business -business solution that optimizes golf operations. So as you know, globally, there's 34,000 of them. So that is our business horizon, if you will. And we found a very fertile ground in that there is a big need and a big drive for change and a move towards technology in the US and in Canada. And what we do for the market is we provide a system that allows the courses to do three main things. One is how can we operate efficiently and how can you run our traffic on the course as efficiently as possible? That obviously has a business benefit because if you run your traffic efficiently, well, you're creating more opportunity for capacity. You can get more people onto your, through your asset. But uh, one of the key drivers as well is how can we optimize the player experience? Because ultimately, as golf operators, we're serving the players 
in the US, certainly that's 25 million more so now with uh, COVID having, having given the market a boost. We need to do that as well as we can so we can keep growing um, our businesses and we keep growing the, the industry. So we are tackling a traffic problem, if you will, on the golf course that has a huge player experience impact. And the key word here is pace of play and slow play. So if you manage the traffic well, you're doing away with that issue and we're providing the tool to do that efficiently and then look for business opportunities for the operators. Yeah, love this. Okay, let's go back into the into the Wayback Machine here. So in 2014, and that's when you launched. So obviously you were putting together the business model and that aha moment even earlier than that. So we're looking at about seven, eight, nine years ago. What was that aha moment? What was that fundamental pain point you saw in the golf industry that you took that entrepreneurial leap to say, hey, there's a business here, there's validation, there's a gap here. What, what was that original notion that you saw there was something here that you can build a business around with Tag Marshall? Yeah, as you can imagine, a lot of good ideas start with a problem that's experienced with a lot of emotion and passion, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so the one here was um, a beautiful Saturday afternoon, 15th hole, and three groups are stuck behind each other on the tee. So that is uh, a common sight. And it was not me that experienced that because I wasn't at that point an avid enough golfer to pay enough attention. But it was a good friend of mine and he experienced that and, and he, much like many golfers around the globe would do, tried to phone the clubhouse, hey guys, we're stuck, what can we do, you know, please untangle this, it's really not what we came for, so it, it's a frustration game. And he ended up being so frustrating that he looked uh, through his mental uh, flip chart of people that he might recruit to do something about this issue. <laughs> <laughs> so then he came to me and he said, oh, well, you're the tech geek and you've been working in technology for more than a decade and you've, you've founded other businesses uh, in the tech space and to really experience can't you advise me and this is not something that we can find a better way that is much more 21st century in terms of management because what i've seen is there was a marshal at this course but he was on the front line we were all stuck on the back line and we'd had been snailing along for over an hour and this guy was nowhere to be seen surely there must be a technology that can help do that i mean we're all using google maps and this sort of data visualization from what i understand is what you've been doing so i said yes absolutely let's take a look and for me it was very evident that golf has a, a traffic management issue because you've got a, a set space with moving parts in it, working and, and moving in, in a set order. So all you need to do to me, it seemed very simple at the time, is try and manage the space better and find a way to, to bring some order in this. And then you will do away with this problem, right? Obviously, managing 200 players with 200 minds of their own that are all trying to master the game of golf as they move along the course proved a little bit more difficult than what I thought initially, but uh, it was certainly a, an exciting challenge. And then when we realized that, well, there is really not a lot of technology in the space overall because golf is so traditional, we realized very soon that, um, well, if we can really make a mark and prove ourselves and provide a solution that works, the sky's the limit, right? Because the market is ready for disruption, if you will, and it's asking and it's needing to do things differently than the decades uh, before that. So that was that build-up time into 2014 when we launched. And we also realized that our home markets, which was uh, Europe and South Africa, just probably were a little bit too small to, to really jump in. So we thought, okay, if we're going to, to do this, let's jump in the deep end. And we registered at the 2015 PGA show with a new product that was an MVP at the time. And we said, let's go and learn uh, what are people saying? What are they asking? What's their response to the system that we're starting to build? And lo and behold, uh, two months later, we had a phone call from an American golf club called Aaron Hills. 
and the rest is history. <laughs> nice, nice. So for our listeners here, understand we've used the term MVP in Lean Startup quite a bit, but once again, that's a not most valuable player in this case. That is a minimum viable product that then you launched at the 2015 PGA show. And I love what you just mentioned there as far as customer validation. So many entrepreneurs, whether it's a product or if it's technology or some common or an experience, they keep it all to themselves and they don't ask for validation or they just do it with their friends. And of course, their friends and family are not going to say that it sucks you know, if your baby's ugly in this case with what you're creating or there's not a market for it. So you put it out there and you listened and then you got some traction. You got obviously you got a customer, which is the most important thing with entrepreneurship, right? They talk about get investment, well, how much is your company worth and how much are you giving away? But very simple thing. Actually build something and actually get some customers that are willing to pay for it. What a business model, right? What an idea. It's actually you get people to pay for that. And then later on, if you need more money investment to go to that next growth stage, that's what you do. So I'm really curious to hear if we're st- sticking with 2015 for a minute here, Bodo, how did you decide with your minimum viable product? What were the key features you want? Because the desires as a human is to keep adding more and make it more perfect, even though perfect doesn't exist. How did you decide what were the things you were going to include now that would provide most value and worry about some other features later that we're going to talk about that I know that you've incorporated and have value. So what was that process like for you and the team earlier on to decide what you were going to launch with? Yeah, before I jump in there, Colin, you mentioned that a lot of people with ideas that would be entrepreneurs and really have the drive to, hey, there's a problem I can solve. They might run it by their friends and family and the guys say, yeah, that's great. And that's great. Why don't you do it? But it's often it's the other way around. People might say, that's never going to work. That already exists. Don't even try. And it's actually, it's often the other way around. And and I think that uh, anyone who's toying with an idea, I would encourage them to not listen necessarily. You know, if you're obsessive enough, find the people who are going to use it. And that's not your friend or your playing partner or your brother-in-law. Those are not your customers. Don't ask them for advice. Go to the people whose problem you're trying to solve and they're going to tell you. But going back to your question, so there were two things that we knew, that we knew that we were good with working with data, we were good with working with process improvement and business intelligence systems. What we also knew is that we were not good at running golf operations because that's not our job, right? That's not our expertise. So we needed to get our advisors from within the industry. And uh, the best advisors that are the most embedded in an opportunity are the ones that are saying, well, that's a problem I'm trying to solve. And also I'm willing to pay for it because the moment they're willing to pay for it, they want it to work, right? So we had some pioneering customers initially that saw the vision that we had. Um, they saw what our first iteration product could do and said, this is good. But immediately upon starting to use it or even looking at our presentation, they had ideas of how it could be better. And we realized that this is exactly what we need, where we want to be open and keep our ear closed to the ground in terms of these are the real experts. And they're the ones who need to use the system from a day-to-day uh, operations point of view. And they found so many use cases for it that we could never have imagined. So all we needed to do was listen and take the bad ideas and throw them away and look what floated to the top in terms of these are the ideas that are good, that have legs, that we can see into the future. Also ideas that if we bounce them off other pros are getting a good reception so that we could crystallize what the core of the solution needed to be. And really what it comes down is two things, live management and oversight, which is basically your Google Maps and ways of golf course management that puts that traffic problem into a tangible space that really makes sense to you. You know exactly where the holdups are and you know that 
you can now go out and, and intervene and, and get things moving again. So that's live management. And the second portion, and that's where the business intelligence side comes in. And I know, Colin, you probably have a very elegant way of explaining what the business intelligence does. But in my understanding, it is uh, using data and data visualization and mining data effectively so you can make better business decisions. So ultimately, because we're collecting so much data in live management, we can now put this into a space where we can look at data and performance over time. So that is the second portion of it. And that normally would come to your business in the shape of a dashboard of sorts. So that's really the, the basic principles of the system. And we needed a third portion to feed that system. And there we, against our initial judgment, ended up with a hardware system, GPS trackers, basically, that would feed the system and that would feed our intelligence system. Where we initially thought, surely we're going to build an app here very soon, right? But our customer said, no, we want full control over the space and our players are not ready for this sort of thing. So we had to slow down a little bit in terms of what we thought we were going to do with an in a few months and just listen to the customers, what they were ready for and how they wanted to use it and give them that. I love what you said there, just for people considering entrepreneurship or they've got some ideas. You talked about listening to your customer and it's so critically important. And so many entrepreneurs and founders don't, whether their ego gets in the way and it's like, no, this is the market or you just don't get it. They're not selling anything and they just don't understand it. It's like, well, maybe you should listen a little bit more. And that's been incredibly, crucially important for you in the success of not only developing the features, but it sounds like setting your strategy over time here with, with Tag Marshall, which is incredible. One thing I wanted to mention too, because you talked about this, because a lot of entrepreneurs also get confused with thinking their customers are their users and their users are their customers. And sometimes they can be both. But it sounds like in your case, the line is blurred a bit where in the sense, if I showed up to the golf course, even though it may be a frictionless experience for me around the golf course with Tag Marshall, with the technology following my movement, but I am a user in that sense. And I'm benefiting because one of the pain points is slow rounds. And that's one of the problems that's existed for years when we first got into the golf space, seeing one of the pain points, golf just takes too long to play. It's too slow and it's frustrating and you're eliminating that. So faster rounds make golf more fun and make it more delightful for the user there. But I wanted to ask you with the actual customer, talk about that journey. I'm interested in journeys and use cases here. So maybe talk a little bit about that, Bodo, as far as, let's say both cases, as far as myself on the golf course that uses Tag Marshall and also how the staff would then be using your technology. Yeah, Colin, that's a great question because there's a very interesting dynamic that we found is, is that our initial customer base, they were all about wanting to provide the perfect experience, but they didn't want a technology that was in their customers, the golfers' faces necessarily. They said, we want this as unobtrusive as possible so that we can provide a classic golf experience and we want to have the information and we want to be able to control the field and control the traffic. And we don't necessarily want the customers to interact with the system. So that is where, uh, like I said, we, we actually slowed down on our ambitions in terms of we need to be golfer interfacing and give them the information so they can self-correct. No, that, that really wasn't the desire from our initial pioneering customers. And lo and behold, it, it actually worked out really well because a few years later, the market was ready for that next step and, and that we had all that we need, learnings from millions of golf rounds and many, many operators that we could then expand our product line. 
Yeah, so that was the beginnings. But but how does it work? So let me just quickly explain that to you. So there are two primary modes of movement in golf, right? The one is we're going to use a golf cart where 2020 has meant some adjustments and then it wasn't just we're going to use a golf cart, we're going to use a single rider golf cart because we need to keep our distance, right? And that's come with a whole other set of challenges for the clubs. Now there's twice the amount of traffic. We don't have enough carts to make this all work. But it's cart golf and there's walking golf. Walking golf is the, the classic Scottish experience, which is a beautiful thing. So that is that little white ball that spoils your walk. <laughs> That's where it comes from. And then you've got clubs. That, and again, COVID has gifted golf a little bit more walking golf in that they're offering both. At our course, you can walk or you can take a cart. So those are the primary movement functions that you have on a course. And sometimes it's a combination. So what we needed to solve was how do we get data from these playing groups into our system? And that is where we did a lot of testing. Do we need to track individual players or is it the right and appropriate thing to track one in a foursome? Or is it if it's a twosome, one in a twosome, just so we track the individual playing groups. And obviously the way things now work is if you have a, a cart operation, we would install one of our units into each cart, which has a lot of auxiliary benefits. Like you can now track cart movement. You can geofence off areas that you want to protect. You can certainly make sure that they don't go too fast and they don't go where they're not supposed to. But also we want to track walkers so that we don't have any holes in our analysis of your traffic problem, which is where Google, for instance, if you look in at Google Maps, they're using a lot of preemptive and predictive data, but seeing that most people have got the Google apps on their phone and they can also look back at historic data at key times on key traffic arteries within the city, they can preemptively and predictively give you a pretty good result of what a traffic situation is. And our system is very similar, but we needed, especially initially, a 100% line of sight and coverage of anything that moved because if there was a hole and a gap in the field, the course now didn't know, is there really a gap in play or is it because we don't have coverage in terms of uh, we don't know these players are not connected that's uh, one of the issues that we needed to solve so the initial generation of our system the interaction with the golfers was very minimal it was really just a case of a player assistant would now have a tablet uh, an ipad with a live map on it all this information like i said the ways of golf course operations or google maps of golf course operations and they would interact with the players and says hey guys you're a bit out of position according to my information according to the map take a look can you help me get back in position so we don't hold up the people behind you. And you can already see that if you don't have data, this is a conversation that normally ends with, no, it's not us, it's the guys in front of us. How dare you come over here and tell us we're slow, that sort of thing. But if you have data, then it's a purely fact-based conversation. And also what I added now is I said, hey, you're out of position, which means that you need to be a bit further ahead where you, where you are now. I did not judge you as a golfer. I did not say you're slow. So that is one of the key learnings. And Anyone managing a golf course, if you have staff interacting with players, never tell them they're slow, even if you think they are. Tell them they're out of position and you will have a very warm reception in terms of how they respond to your request. If you tell them they're slow, it's like you're challenging somebody's IQ, basically, right? In terms of the golf version of it. So this is a, a very simple thing that you can adjust in your management of this. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of golfer interaction because also the courses learned to manage the space so well that there was hardly any action necessary or only at key moments. But the majority of play that was flowing nicely, no interaction necessary. And we actually realized 
that this is a prohibitor to our growth because these guys are loving their time at the club, but the club is not necessarily saying we are so good at this because of the system, right? They're saying we're so good at it because we're good at it. (laughs) (laughs) So we realized if we can find more ways to touch on the golfers, then they will carry it to other clubs, right? And that obviously helps our marketing and, and also the demand by the golfers saying, well, we want the other club that I play at. I also want it to work so well. And that's when I'm going to come back and spend more time there. Yeah, that's a, the next generation of our system and took that into account. And that is how quickly seven years pass. <laughs> wow. Uh, I love the way you put that. No, you're not slow. You're just out of position, especially with men. Sadly, you know, the ego gets in the way there. It's the technology. It's not you. It doesn't lie. A great validator of that. I was watching the Australian Open tennis tournament the last couple of weeks, and they've now put in place all line calls, whether it's on a serve or whether it's on anything, baseline side, it's the technology and there's no overruling. So the umpire is taken out of it. So there's no hissy fits from the players, no drama, no arguments because they can't, because there's no overturning a call ever because the technology is the technology and you you can't argue with, with the technology. So it sounds like you've got similar conversations happening with what you're putting in front of players out of position also. So I wanted to ask you this. So as far as security or even implied security and data gathering for players, let's say I'm walking the course, I show up and I'm told that I have to carry a chip or I'm given something to go around the course. And if that's the case, how have you overcome that? Or if you want to say bias, but even that perception that then it's big brother than tracking all your data and gathering stuff. Because there's a lot of people that still believe in big data conspiracy theories and you're tracking them maybe even after the course. So tell us about that, how you've managed to alleviate those fears in the conversation. And also when I enter the clubhouse or the pro shop, how, if I'm walking the course, how Tag Marshall is then following me around the course. It's interesting because it's always a question of if something solves a problem that I perceive as a problem, I'm willing to give a little bit, right? So here it was a case of the players, and there's extensive research that was done by the USGA and, and other organizations, RNA and so on, and that has basically put it uh, pace of play and the time it takes to play as a key experience factor. So uh, 74% of golfers are saying this is a key experience factor for me. And the only thing that routinely ranks higher is course conditioning. And already that's a winning formula. If you've got a nicely conditioned course that flows well, that's winning golf in terms of your experience. It's not a big thing to tell the players, we are putting this little tag marshal on your golf bag, or there's one installed in the cart that you're using, so that we can keep the play moving and we'll make sure that the guys in front of you stay ahead and don't hold you up. So it's actually the other guys we're managing, Uh. not you. But we just want to make sure that we've got full line of sight so we can give you the best possible experience. And they all look great. We love it when things flow. And obviously, the players of themselves would never think of themselves as slow. It's really, really funny how how perception works. There was another uh, set of surveys done. How many other golfers do you believe are slow and often out of position? And the answer was something like 70%. And then uh, they're asking people, what do you think of yourself? Would you consider yourself a slow player? And the overall answer was that only 2% of people considered themselves slow, but everybody said 70% of the rest of the golf world is slow, right? So, so that is a huge perception thing. So, so what you can now do if your pro shop introductory speech is, hey, guys, we've got a system that helps us keep everything on pace so that you guys can have the best possible experience. We want to make sure that nobody gets in the way of your experience. So the groups ahead of you that would ordinarily 
ordinarily slow down, we're going to catch them, make sure that they speed up again so that you've got the best time. So it's not about you tracking me because I don't see myself as a slow player. I would never, I would never hold up the field. It's always the other guys. <laughs> right. But really, it's how it's positioned. It's, well, the field gets sped up for everybody, but in order for us to do that, we need to know where everyone is so, so that we can take care of things. And, and it's really interesting how also the players and very quickly, especially at private clubs, start to take to self-policing. So they want to know, how did I do? Because I don't want to be the, the guy who comes in slow. And a lot of the clubs are then putting a live map in their clubhouse. That's a huge, massive inch uh, TV that's got the live map on it. And you can very immediately see if a group's falling out of position, they ping as a bigger icon and it's red and you can't ignore it. Everybody else is green. You can also see if a tail forms behind a group. And nobody wants to be in that group that is holding up others coming towards the clubhouse because there might already be some, oh, you again. You know, So they're starting to self-police. And it really comes down to awareness and the players want to do well. They want to be aware and they want to not get in anyone's way. So it's actually a really friendly space the moment you have information and also the moment you position it in a way that's weird to help you rather than weird to police you and find you out that you're doing something wrong. <laughs> I, I love that. So I wanted to ask you this, this is as far as the business model of my understanding is that since the efficiency on course is going are there, as far as generating more revenue on the rounds played, are you seeing now over a couple of years, I know every course is different as far as how people can get around the, the length of the time that play around that four hour mark, everybody wants to kind of hit that or just under that. What are you finding now? Are you finding that rounds of play over time have decreased by five, 10, 15% or whatever that number is on certain courses? And if that is the case, are they then changing the tee times from 12 minutes to 10 or from 10 minutes to nine? So they're able to like that tube of toothpaste, that throughput, the golf problem we have is you can't have 18 people go off every three and a half minutes. Golf can't scale like that. So what are you finding, Bodo, now over time with maybe give one case study example of one course of over time where the efficiency has gone up, where now they're able to get, I don't know, 10, 13%, 8% more rounds every single day off, off the blocks? Sure. There's um, there's various ways in which we look at data, right? And, and one of the things, obviously, trends over time. But what is always a very good way of looking at are we being successful? If you compare a single day in the same season, maybe the same day of the week with similar weather year on year. So say, for example, Saturday, the 15th of May, 2019 versus the year after. Okay, now 2020, not the, not the best example. And normally what happens with any system implementation, it's not like you're switching on the magic button that now solves all of your problems. It's something that you have an immediate benefit from and there's an uptake in efficiency, but the real value comes in over time and it's incremental, right? So if you get 2% better every two weeks over the course of a 40-week season, you have improved insanely much. But yes. in your week of your 2% incremental improvement, it doesn't feel like you're doing all that much different. But it's over time, it's like compound interest. Good habits, good processes over time, they compound into something really powerful. So to give you a, an example like you're asking, so this is a club down in the Baltimore area in, in the northeast of the US. So, so when they started out with the system, uh, they've got carts, so it tracks all their data. So we had a really good indication of this is what a busy Saturday looks like at this club. They want to play to 4 hours 20, which is a reasonable go time for the course length and difficulty that they're presenting. But they came through on this busy day. Yeah, it gets busy and things jam up. They came through at 4.34. So that is 14 minutes over goal time. And you might think, oh, 
uh, 14 minutes, like as an individual player, if my round takes 14 minutes longer on a Saturday, that's not the end of the world. But what really happens, because you're looking at an average, there are rounds that are actually faster than goal time, and there are rounds that are way out, like 40, 50, 60 minutes over. So the average is a very bad indicator to look at, but still it's an indicator if you're looking at overall results too. So, so what we saw that 80% of the rounds were 20 or 30 minutes and some 40 to 50 minutes over and only 25% of the rounds were actually on pace and then a small percentile within 10 minutes of the pace. So this is what you then get is that your average is 14 minutes over, but actually what happens on the courses that more than half of your players you're serving a bad experience to because they're the guys who are saying, oh, the tee was, was jammed. It was never open. I had to wait all the time. It's destroying my rhythm. Really didn't enjoy it, right? Oh, I was too busy again. So we can see if you're looking at the data, and that's the power of business intelligence to know what you really look for, what actually happened. And this was very early on in this particular course's usage of the system. That might have been week three or so, right? Very early on. So what they learned to do then was how to use the system in daily management. So how to use that Google Maps traffic information to manage things properly on the day. Also, certain processes needed to be adjusted. For instance, the starter needs to, like you mentioned, is there an 8, 9, 10, 12 minute interval? That interval needs to be accurately applied because you, you said three and a half minutes, not going to cut it. But sometimes a starter might find a group arrives a minute late or too late and he sends them off. Yeah, get going. And the next group is a little bit early. They don't want to wait. Well, it sends them off again. So now he's cut that down to maybe six minutes. And at the next part three, well, these guys are having to wait. Right. So you need to be accurate around all of the processes that have an impact on this and the other thing that a lot of courses anecdotally know is that, well, our early rounds are quicker than our late rounds. Um, I don't know how you like to play. And sometimes people fight over that first out uh, tea time because they know nobody's going to be in their way and they can really cruise. But over time, and also very quickly, you can see a profile of a course. How does it run, right? And it's not always a case of the early morning's quick and the late afternoon is terrible. Very often there's mid-morning belly of slowness and then the afternoon actually speeds up again. But if you understand that really well, then you can design goal times that we call dynamic goal times that you don't say our course needs to be played at 420. No, the first X amount of rounds we want to play at 345. Then there's another section of rounds that we want to play at four hours. Then there's another section of rounds that we want to play at 410 or 415. And then we're accepting that we're going to go into the 425, 430, and then things speed up again. But you're blocking your day into these segments and it's dynamic application of a goal time. You can now control the space much better, but also golf is not a one-size-fits-all game. Some people really like to play quickly, and some people like to take their time and chat to their mates and have seven beers. So you need to find the right slot for those experience expectations, and then you can manage the space so that you're pulling your day along. And if you've got a course that would play at 420 that now plays at 330 for those first few tee times where people are going quite fast at it, you can already see in its basic physics if you're moving faster, you're covering more ground, right? So there's more ground in between those people playing faster golf. You can now tighten your interval a little bit. And by tightening your interval, you can now create capacity. Also, you can create capacity because at the end of the day, your day has gone 30 minutes faster than it did last year. So you can create capacity again. So this particular course managed to improve their average time year on year, 200 players out, same weather, by applying these dynamic interval strategies, adjusting the, the intervals in the mornings a little bit, and doing the live management and communicating well with the players of what the expectations were. They shaved off 27 minutes of the average time. 
But also they had three additional tier of times that they made available on that busy Saturday that they could now sell. So the business impact is the golden ticket of everybody who plays here has a better experience. It really flows very nicely. But we were able to safely add more capacity and, and two tier of times on a, on a Saturday where you're almost guaranteed to sell them is worth a lot to your business. And it's what the operators would call found revenue because it's revenue you never had before. And it obviously goes straight to your bottom line because the fixed cost nature of a golf club is that anything that you do over a certain volume is basically straight bottom line for you. And that's exactly where, where the magic lies. So 27 minute improvement year on year. That means over 200 players on that day, that's an accumulative 90 hours that we freed up for these players. And guess where they're going to spend that time? The, the clubhouse eating and drinking. Absolutely. And, uh, not right now during COVID, of course, but post-COVID, <laughs> absolutely. You touched on some of the things I was going to dig down into here in the last couple of minutes that we're going to have in our conversation. And that is on the revenue side. So you talked about what are the benefits for your users, so the golfers on the course, and of course, for your customers, as far as the staff and the owners and the operators of the golf course. So you've talked about how they can generate more revenue. I want to hold off on the conversation of as far as how to reduce costs, with everything you're doing with heat mapping for our YouTube conversation, for our video conversation, so people can come over there. So we'll hold on to that. We want to talk about some other examples, including the work you're doing with Whistling Straits. We'll tell that story on our video version on YouTube also. But just wanted to ask you this with customers, you're geeking out on the numbers and the data here and the value of that, but also you see the incredible value of user experience. So how does this make me feel and how does it make me react as the player and that trickle down? Because if I come off the golf course, I've been held up by a bunch of people again, or maybe I'm holding it up and I've got the marshal on my back saying, oh, pick up your ball and move forward to the next hole. I'm having a terrible experience. So I'm not going to stick around and spend money afterwards, or I'm not going to come back if it's a public course or semi-private and want to play there again because I've had a negative experience. So I'm not going to spend more money later on, or as you've alluded, to. I'm off the course 30 minutes or 27 minutes early. I'm in a good mood now. Perhaps I've, even if I played well or I haven't, it's been a good experience. And now I'm going to stick around for that next piece of my golfing journey for that day. And that is to spend just as much, if not more money in the next hour or two hanging around afterwards. So I'm assuming that's not lost on your golf course owners and operators as far as creating that great experience for every player or more players that they're going to stick around with a smile on their face, right? 100%. So yeah, as you rightly say, like I'm geeking out <laughs> on these metrics and the data, but there's some key data points that any business should try and track, certainly a service business. And and the one is called, and you would have come across this, Colin, is uh, the net promoter score, right? So the net promoter score is when a business or a service asks you, would you recommend this restaurant, airline, whatever it is, to your friends and peers, would you promote it basically? And normally that's rated zero to 10. Now I'm asking you a trick question. Normally when you get asked this and there's this range of zero to 10 and you, you're supposed to rate it, normally what do you do when you get asked this? I got to say, unless you've had this incredible knock it out of the park experience or something that's terrible, it's always a seven. It's always a seven. Well, the other for, answer for to me, this what, is I, what I'll do if it's just like if I don't want to put the time in, it's like yeah, okay, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'll say seven. It's okay. It's on the good side of okay. But what many people do is nothing because you didn't shake my world here, but also you didn't make me angry. So normally, with the net promoter score is generally quite polar. And I've learned that um, I've got an eight-year-old son. And when we go to the restaurant, he has understood the power of this customer rating. So if a waiter is good and he thinks 
this guy's great. He says, I'm going to rate you five stars. I'm going to rate you 10 out of 10. And if not, and there was basil on the pizza, it's like, I'll rate you one star. <laughs> so he understands the power of that. And you would know that that 77% of consumers are making buying decisions based on these ratings Absolutely. that they see online. So, But the net promoter score is more of an internal metric for the business to see, are we serving our customers well? Because the positive net promotion happens seven and up, seven, eight, nine, 10, eight, nine, 10 in particular. Those are people who said, I've loved my round at this golf club. They really looked after me. The conditioning was great. The service was great. The pace of play was great. All of those key factors were great. I definitely recommend it. And they do. Like they tell their friends, I love my round this weekend at XYZ Club. But the other thing is also true. If we don't get it right, and that is where the pace of play and that on-course traffic is completely blown out of proportion and how it impacts the play experience. You can have a beautiful conditioned course Put all your, your effort into it, massive amount of your budget goes into it. If it's not presented well on the day, people can't see that. They don't remember that. They remember that they've had to wait. And now they're blaming the wait if they're shooting a bad score on top of it. That's because the pace was bad, right? So that's what they take away. And then they would say, my net promoter score here is a one, two, three. It was bad. And here's why. Those are some key uh, metrics that any business should track. And, and another one is intent to return. Would you come back here? Some of our customers, we work with 30 of the top 100 in the US now. So that's your, you mentioned Whistling Straits, Erin Hills, Pinehurst, Pebble Beach, Kewa, also some really good private clubs. But they track intent to return. Will it come back here? And if your intent to return is 97, 98%, you're getting it right. That's mm -hmm. good for business. These people are coming back to you. So yeah, it's, it's really incredible to understand what an impact this on-course experience has on what people take away. And that is what creates customer loyalty. So that if you're spending your money to getting marketing and putting all this effort in so people come to your course, you want them to come back many, many times, much like a restaurant. If you're doing a fantastic burger and service, people will come back many, many times and you're creating loyalty so that your customer lifetime value is huge, right? Yeah, if, if you can track this and if you can understand what is it that really impacts the customer journey and the player experience to such an extent that they said, I will always come back. It's great. You guys looked after me. Then you're getting it right. And it's, uh, it's incredible the amount of impact that on-course experience has on this particular metric. Because if it's bad, players will vote with their feet and they will tell all their friends about it and moan about it. Not to be cheeky, but it hurts the business. It seems such a simple thing, but it's very, very important to players and how it makes them feel about their experience at the club. Matt Barksdale from Pinehurst, he always says the on-course sentiment, and that's obviously service conditioning and, and the pace of play, is the post-round sentiment. That's what I'm taking away with me. And that's what I remember, alongside the score, hopefully. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you, you make some great points there. I remember back in the day, years ago, when I was a waiter in the restaurant business in the industry, while I was putting myself through architecture school, did that for a couple of years, and learned that. This is, of course, before there was, there was no social media. I'm definitely aging myself, dating myself here. There was no feedback in that sense, except for like cards people may, may or may not fill out on the table. But we learned very early on that if it was a negative experience and you didn't make an effort to fix that, that people, and you mentioned this, it is stories. Not only will they not come back, but if it's a negative experience and it's a story wrapped around that, they will tell eight 
10 friends that story, if things were just kind of meh and average, they probably won't tell anybody. If something was exceptional, they'll share the stories on either end of the spectrum. But it's those negative experiences, especially if you didn't fix them, they will share those with people. And back in the day when you didn't have the data to capture that or have that feedback or that user-generated content or response, you don't even know this is happening. It's behind the curtain and you don't understand why this is happening. So what I love here is you're taking the experiential side and then you're able to analyze that and measure that and then find out what the why is. It's all about the why. Why are you not happy? Why are you displeased? Why are you not going to come back? And you've been able to correlate that with data because the round took too long or it was a great pace for a positive experience that everybody benefits from that. I think um, this is probably a good time to make one more point is that I mentioned to you earlier that the traditional way in which the golf industry is measuring, are we doing this well or not, is they look at the average round time. And very often, a course that might want to play to a four-hour goal time based on their course length and difficulty, they come through at four hours and six minutes, and that looks so close to your goal. But if you're looking at the data underlying, you will find that 40-50% is actually 30-40 minutes slow and delayed. And there's a portion of two sims or early rounds or, or some quick rounds that balances out. So that is the one data set that golf needs to look a bit deeper and not make it too easy on itself. But the other one is, and we often had this in conversations, especially initially, is, well, we don't have a pace of play problem. But that's like you asking a player, do you have a pace of play problem? <laughs> no player would admit to that because uh, no, only 2% of players saying, yeah, I know I'm bumbling a bit and I'm slicing too much. And that's what happens, right? The majority of players would say, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I've got it under control. It's like, do you have an alcohol problem? It's the same sort of loaded question that people get very defensive about. So if you go to a golf course and says, hey guys, do you have a place of play problem? You're not going to get anywhere because they will immediately say, no, we've got some control. We're not doing too badly. We're okay. And they will find reasons why they don't. So the flip side of the story, do you have a place of play opportunity in terms of, we know that 74% of players saying, this is really important to us. Can you do this as well as you possibly can? And we will pay you handsomely with our loyalty and custom. So a course might say, well, we're not getting all that many any complaints about it. Then the, the reverse question is how many people are coming into your office or into your clubhouse afterwards and says, guys, the pace of play at this club is sensational. It's the best I've ever seen. It's absolutely fantastic. I will definitely come back and tell my friends about it. You're not expecting players to do that right. necessarily. If you're looking at how important is it to players, 74% of them saying it's critical. That is the sort of question that you need to dare ask here. How can we make it so good that this is what their response is, right? Because we're putting so much effort into, oh, we've just done a $5 million renovation of our clubhouse. Or we're renovating our, our 18th hole and we're making our conditioning even better. And a few people will say, your clubhouse is phenomenal, loved it. Or your course conditioning, beautiful compliments to your superintendent. But nobody expects that pace of play feedback to be this full of emotion and gratitude and saying, this has really made my day. I love it, right? So, so, so as golf operators, we've just never seen that or hardly ever, unless the course is absolutely empty and somebody says, oh, I love it here because it's so empty because I can play as quickly as I want. Meanwhile, the poor manager is like, we don't have enough traffic. How are we going to make ends meet and run and drive a profit, right? So you have to do both. Sometimes you just need to ask the question a bit differently to really challenge yourself and not make it too easy on yourself and say, well, on average, we're okay because you're not looking to provide an average average experience. That's not what, what's going to drive you into the future. And that's not what, what's going to make you a standout facility, right? Average is average. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We could keep going think, for another hour here. I have so much more I want to ask you, but we do want to jump over to our video interview. So, of course, people can come over to our YouTube channel. So we're going to ask some different questions there. We're going to talk more about the future of Tag Marshall as far as your response to COVID. Another example is, like we said, at Whistling Straits and some of the good things that you're doing there. So, uh, hey, why don't we just finish up here now? This has been an awesome conversation. It's been so good to hear your voice again and looking forward to seeing you on our video call. So as we finish up here, Bodo, why don't you let our listeners know where they can find out more about Tag Marshall and where they can find you on social media. Yeah, Colin. So we've got a website. It's tagmarshall.com. And any channel that is not Snapchat, you can find us on Tag Marshall as well. So very easy to find. I think what's important is that we're in a very fortunate situation as a business and me personally as an entrepreneur, so my fellow co-founders, that we can really change the way an industry operates which is a huge privilege, but also a a responsibility, right? So we're doing a lot of education where we get some of our better managers and people that manage some really busy clubs or some of these standout major hosting clubs to share what they do and, and what they've learned. Uh, and some of the data insights that, that they've come across. And we do bi-monthly uh, webinar series. So if you go and check out our website on tagmarshall.com, you see lots of educational content, lots of looks under the hood of data, and also just tips and tricks of what you can do at your club, whether you want to use technology or not, because we believe we've got some of these amazing learnings that we're in a position to share back with the people who make it all happen. That's the, the golf managers and the assistants and so on. And we want to just add as much value as we can. So tagmarshall.com is where you will find this information. Nice. Nice. And as I always do in the show notes for your episode, I will include all the links there in your bio page, which already exists because you've been on the show before. We will make sure we update those so everybody can easily access all the good things you just mentioned there and learn about Tag Marshall. So, hey, Odo Siebert, co-founder and CEO of Tag Marshall. Good to see you again. This has been an awesome conversation about entrepreneurship, technology, user experience, all those things, and how you are making a positive impact on the golf industry. So thanks for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. Thanks for the great questions. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bodo Sieber, co-founder and CEO of Tag Marshall. If you'd like to learn more about Tag Marshall, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information. The video link for my extended conversation with Bodo is also on the episode show page. And please subscribe to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is Charlie Watson, CEO of Lazarus Esports, to learn about the VIRL Esports Golf Showdown, which is North America's first competitive esports golf event. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. Our friends at Golf Genius Software have added a new digital scorecard option to their live scoring capabilities of its tournament management platform. So if you're a golf course owner or operator, consider checking them out online at golfgenius.com to find out how they can help reduce your workload, create more fun, and generate more revenue. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, You can find more of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.